you'll be finding Isaiah chapter 1. That's where our text will be this morning. Isaiah chapter 1. Lord willing, we're going to spend the next three weeks in Isaiah looking at the idea of worship and what is worship and why do we worship. Growing up, I collected baseball and football cards, and after I graduated and moved out, they got moved to my parents' basement in order to take their uh, place next to other worthless junk like wooden Fisher-Price toys and G.I. Joe action figures. Well, a few years later, something funny happened. What was once considered worthless junk suddenly became quite valuable. Uh, stores like Great Escape as well as private collectors started paying cash money for old baseball and football cards and these toys and action figures. And so excitedly I began to think of all the things I could buy with all those worthless cards that I collected over the years. I hot-footed it over to my parents' house and I went into their basement to receive my suddenly quite valuable merchandise. I went into the junk room and discovered it was empty. <laughs> My mom had gotten rid of all that junk cluttering up her basement. She threw it all away. My Hank Aaron rookie card as well. What was junk to her was quite valuable to me. I suppose where we, that's where we get the phrase, one man's junk is another man's treasure. But you know the same thing can happen in reverse. We sometimes hold on to our treasure, which is actually junk, too long and become what people call hoarders. Y'all seen that TV show, Hoarders? Uh, we saw a uh, Bones episode a while back where a lady died in the middle of all her stuff and she had so much stuff they couldn't find her. And so the, the body just decomposed there in the middle of all her stuff. But you say, well, what in the world's that got to do with spiritual stuff? Let's move this over into the spiritual realm by asking this question. Why did you come to church this morning? Why are you here? And there are lots of reasons why people might come to church. Some come because their parents or grandparents made them. Some come because they want to please their spouse. Some come to socialize with friends and family. Others come maybe to make business contacts, and others come to, well, it's just what they've always done on Sunday morning. We just, we get up, we go to church. That's part of our routine. That, that's what we do. But listen to my next sentence carefully. Everyone comes to church in order to worship. Everybody comes to church in order to worship. There's not a person sitting in this building or any church building or house or field or wherever they're a group of people worshiping God, all of them are worshiping. Worship is defined as the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for something or someone. Everybody is this morning is worshiping either someone or something here. That isn't the question. The question is, who are we worshiping or what are we worshiping? Many this morning are worshiping a certain style of music. And we think, well, if we don't have this kind of music, that's the only way we could worship the Lord. We're, we're really not worshiping the Lord. 
Some folks worship a preacher. Some folks worship themselves. You say, well, how do I worship myself? When we say to ourselves, well, it's all about me. It's about the kind of music I like, the kind of sermon I like, the kind of carpet color I like, the kind of church building I like. Uh, it used to be that when folks found out I pastored a church, they would ask me the question, well, how can I serve? What can I do to help? Today, the most common question I get is, what kind of programs do you have for me and my family? And... Uh, while programs are important, if we're not very, very careful, we forget that the one we're here to worship this morning is not ourselves, it's God. And so that's why we're here this morning. And here's our sermon in a sentence. Anytime the primary focus of our worship shifts from God to anything or anyone else, in spite of what it may do for us, our worship becomes worthless in the sight of God. Okay, you can go home now. No, that, but that, that really is our, our sermon this morning. Anytime we shift the purpose of our worship from us, or from God rather, to us, then that becomes worthless worship. And we get a great example here in the book of Isaiah. Uh, just to give you a little bit of background about Isaiah, Isaiah was an 8th century prophet who prophesied primarily to the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, Samaria falls, which is the capital of Israel, the northern kingdom. Samaria falls to Assyria in 722 B.C. And the Jews in the southern kingdom are having a hard time. Uh, Isaiah opens his book with Yahweh summoning all the earth to hear his case against Judah. Look at chapter 1. Verses 1 through 3. The vision of Isaiah the son of Amos concerning Judah and Jerusalem, which he saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Listen, O heavens, and hear, O earth, for the Lord speaks. Sons I have reared and brought up, but they have revolted against me. An ox knows its owner, and a donkey its master's manger. But Israel does not know. My people does not understand. Some people call the book of Isaiah a miniature Bible because there are a lot of similarities in the book of Isaiah and the Bible. For example, the Bible has 66 books. The book of Isaiah has 66 chapters. The, New, the Bible is divided into the Old Testament and the New Testament. The New Testament has 69 books, or 39 books rather, the New Testament has 27 books. When you look at Isaiah, chapters 1 through 39 are doom and gloom, a very, uh, very straightforward. God saying, I've had it with Judah. I'm going to take them into captivity. I'm going to punish them. But then when you get to chapters 40 to 66, it shifts to a message of hope. And, and that's what our Bibles do. In the 39 books of the Old Testament, a lot of times we could say they're doom and gloom, aren't they? God smites people, he takes people off into captivity, but the 27 books of the New Testament bring us joy and hope and, and the fact that there's a Savior and there's, there's better things coming for those that are following Jesus. So, with that, that backdrop in mind, let's read our text this morning, and that is verses 10 through 17 of Isaiah chapter 1. 
Isaiah 1, beginning at verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle, and I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, and goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the solemn assembly. I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Wash yourself. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of the deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. <coughs> Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. If you consent and obey, you will eat the best of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword. Truly, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So the first thing we're going to see in verse 10 is worthless worship confronted. God confronts Israel and he, he wakes them up in very, uh, very strong language here. He says, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Now here are the Jewish people. They're worshiping God and Isaiah says, I have a word for you. What would you think this morning if I was to say, I got a word from the Lord last night, old New Hope folks, and here's what he said. Listen up, you rulers of Sodom. Listen up, you people of Gomorrah. Isaiah pulls no punches. Isaiah is a in the priestly family. He's probably related to King Uzziah. He, he is, his book is a Hebrew masterpiece. It's kind of considered the masterpiece of the Old Testament, certainly the Old Testament prophets. Uh, and he just right out of the gate comes forward and confronts Israel and says, this is what God thinks of you. You are Sodom. You are uh, Gomorrah. And if God called his people Sodom and Gomorrah in Isaiah's day, what would he call the worthless worship of our day? What would he call those who came to church for any other reason but to worship God? Kind of gets your attention, doesn't it? He confronts it right away. And things hadn't changed much in Jesus' day. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, when you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites. you got hypocritical prayer. And then he says in the very next verse, 
don't use vain repetition. He gets on to them about insincerity, insincere prayer, insincere worship. And then I asked a fellow one time, I said, uh, do you think one of the biggest problems in the church is apathy and indifference? He said, I don't know and I don't care. But isn't that the way folks are? If we're not careful, we forget why we come. And worship becomes weary. That's the title of this message. When worship becomes weary. And we wake up, especially like last night, we lose an hour's sleep. And so we're, we're less beautiful than we normally would be because we're tired. We've, it's been a hard week. A lot of folks have been busy doing things with the storm and family things. Some of us have been in the hospital. Different things have happened. It's been a hard week. And so we wake up and we think, well, i got to go to church. And we forget that we are privileged to be able to come into a building that's comfortable and nice. And we're here to worship the creator of the universe. It's about him. And can I remind us, it doesn't matter what style of music we use. We had a group, we had, we had several different music groups come to the prison, but we had a hard rock group called Seven Day Slumber. And, uh, and if you could imagine the music, ACDC, turned up as loud as it could possibly be turned up. And the guys loved it. They were a Christian. It was Christian rock. Now, can I tell you, Christian rock is not my thing. That's not my favorite kind of music. I would just about as soon hear somebody scrape a chalkboard as to listen to that loud, acid rock. But can I tell you this? Their message got across to men, and men got saved that day. And so if guys are getting saved, I'm for it. When we worship God, it's got to be with the right attitude. It's about Him. We're not the audience. It's not about as much what it does for us as what it does for God. Now when, you, when I pray, and I hope you pray the same thing, quite often I pray that the Holy Spirit would fill us and fill this place. And we need to realize when we come, what would you think? Now next week in Isaiah 6, we're going to see Isaiah goes to the temple. When he gets to the temple, God shows up. So we're going to look at that encounter next week in Isaiah 6. But what would you think, and we studied this in our Sunday school this morning, what would you think if we were here in church and all of a sudden the lights went out and an angel of the Lord showed up? And the glory of the Lord filled that angel and smoke filled the church building and God showed up. Can I remind you, whether we see an angel or not, when we come into the presence of God, he's here. God's here this morning. He heard us sing. There's a lamb that is fairer than day. He's hearing us as we Read and study his word. When we pray, when we take communion here in a little while, God is with us. He is the one we are worshiping.
It's not me. It's not you. I'll admit there's music I like better than other music. I'll admit there are some speakers that are better than other speakers. But when God just right out of the gate says, Israel, Judah, you're like Sodom and Gomorrah to me. What did God do to Sodom and Gomorrah? He destroyed them, right? So that, that there's our message. So that's worthless worship confronted. And now let's look at worthless worship critique. That's verses 11 through 15. Well, what is, what does God say about worthless worship? Verse 11. He says, what are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of ram and the fat of fed cattle, and I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs or goats. First of all, God says worthless worship is unnecessary. He says, what purpose does it serve? And you know what God's talking about here? He's talking about folks that go through the motions. They come, they give their sacrifices. They come, they have their feast day. They, they come and they, they come to church and then they, they leave. And every, uh, it's like coming to church and we uh, sing our songs, say hello to everybody, put in our tithe, listen to the preacher, shake hands with everybody and leave till next week. We go through the motions. God here says, why are you doing this? It, it's not necessary. Now notice, God is the one who ordained sacrifices. And God is the one who dedicated these feast days and told the Israelites to make the sacrifices and keep the feast days. And now he's saying that it's unnecessary. What God is saying is, if you're not going to do it with the right attitude, you might as well not do it. And you know what he tells us this morning? If you're not coming to church to worship me, you might as well stay home. Please come back next week. I'm not trying to run everybody off. But I am trying to help us remember why we're here. verse 12. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? Not only is it unnecessary, it's unsolicited. God said, who asked you for this type of worship? Who asked you to trample my courts? God says, not me. And we bring that forward to us today. We do the same thing week after week after week after week. And yet, God says, who asked for that? Who asked you to sing Blessed Assurance if you're not singing it from your heart? Who asked you to give a tithe or an offering if you're not doing it willfully and cheerfully? Who asks you to preach a sermon if you're not waiting for a word from me, you're just preaching a sermon because you have to have something to say? It's about him. Sometimes our worship is unnecessary and unsolicited. God wants us to worship, but he wants us to worship in the right way. 
Verse 13. Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the solemn assembly. It's unavailing. It doesn't accomplish anything. It's futile. Did you know it's possible to slip from beautiful worship into worthless worship and we don't even realize it? Remember the church at Ephesus in Revelation? We won't turn there. But in Revelation chapter 2, God tells the, or Jesus tells the church at Ephesus, you all do so many great things. You, you're firm in your doctrine. You're firm in your morals. You do so much right. But in chapter 2, verse 4, he said, you've lost your first love. You forgot why you come. Y'all, we come to worship a holy God. We come to praise the one who saved us. We come to thank him. We come to get built up. We come to grow as Christians so that we can leave this building, this church building, and go out into Fairview and be the church. Amen? That's why we're here. Worthless worship is unnecessary. It's unsolicited. It's unavailing. Verse 14. I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They've become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. It's unpleasant. Worthless worship wearies the Lord. Not a question. Try to go back and remember when you were growing up. Now for some of us, that's longer than other times. But try to remember. Did your parents, when you or your brothers or your sisters maybe were doing something, and they tell you to stop, and they tell you to quit, and of course you keep going, right? And then finally they get to the point where they say, I am tired of this. Generally that would get our attention, right? When I was growing up, my mother and father had their bedroom on the, ground floor and my brother and sister and I had our bedrooms up. We had run of the upstairs. Well you can imagine three kids. Sometimes we got rather loud and mom would stop. She would holler. She'd tell us to quit playing so loud. Be quieter. Don't run upstairs with our shoes off. All kinds of things because it must have sounded like the ceiling was fixing to fall in. But finally she would come to the bottom of the stairs and she would say don't make me come up there. In other words, she's saying, I'm tired of this. And that's what God is saying about worthless worship. He said, your worship, your sacrifices, your festivals, your feast days, you make me tired. Is that what God's saying about our hymn singing? Is that what God's saying about our prayers, about our communion, about our message? The question, why are you here this morning, is a vital question. Y'all, if we don't come to church expecting God to do something, chances are we're going to miss it if he does do something. 
Now, what if? What if some Sunday the lights went out, an angel of the Lord and God's glory showed up? And you were at a ball game or at the grocery store or just laying home watching TV, watching church on TV. What if God came and you missed it because you weren't here? God says, I'm tired of your worship. It's unpleasant to me. It's troubling to me. Does our worship trouble the Lord? That's a legitimate question to ask. God's getting ready to take his people into captivity here in Isaiah. What about us today in our world? God still, still deals with his people. How's he dealing with us? Finally, verse 15. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Worthless worship is unrighteous. He tells them, you're, the reason I can't hear your worship is because your hands are full of blood. And here he's talking about murder and ungodliness. But what he's telling them is your walk doesn't match your talk. Too many Christians live for God on Sunday and then live however they want to Monday through Saturday. When we come to worship God, are we preparing ourselves to worship? Go back and read the Old Testament and look at the things that the people did before they knew they were going to the presence of God. They consecrated themselves. They, they washed themselves. They got themselves ready to go to worship. They repented of their sins. They, they came to God as pure as they possibly could come to God. Now, they were human just like we are. But they, they were to take worship seriously. For so many families, and mine's the same way. Here we are on Sunday morning. The alarm didn't go off. Kids, get up. Have you seen my shoes? Mom, I can't find my shirt. Bobby, come on. We got to get out of bed, Sam. I've told you three times. We got to go to church. Come on, let's go. And we don't. We got to go back. I forgot my Bible. We run in. We go get our Bibles. We're shaking, we're running, we're coming in on two wheels. We get into the door. How you doing, brother so-and-so? We need to prepare for worship. Prepare to go be in the presence of God. Y'all, God's here this morning. Are we meeting with him? Is God communing with you and with me? And next, Isaiah shows us how to correct worthless worship. Look at verse 16. Wash yourself. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil from your deeds from my sight. Sometimes if we're going to stop our worthless worship, we need to step back. We need to step back and say, okay, 
What do I need to fix in my life? What do I need to repent of? What do I need to confess to the Lord so I can get ready to worship Him? Stop doing evil, He says. Quit. Make yourselves clean. Wash yourselves. Cease. Get back. Stop. Quit. And can I tell you what he's talking about here? He's not talking as much about what's going on inside the church building as he is as what's outside the church building. What are we doing Monday through Saturday that hinders our worship on Sunday? How are we living Monday through Saturday that makes us sinful people coming to worship a holy God? Those are real questions, right? I need to ask myself that. You need to ask yourself that. We need to step back. Verse 17 tells us, learn to do good. Not only do we need to step back, we need to start over. He says, learn to do good. Doing good is something we have to learn. Doing evil, we're born with that. Uh, I've got news for y'all. We see pictures of babies and oh how cute that baby so pretty that baby so innocent little babies are not innocent in one way they are little babies are selfish when they're born they want to eat what do they do cry right when they're hungry and you don't and they're they're sad what do they do they cry when their diaper's messed up, what do they do? They cry. If they want to be picked up, what do they do? They cry. If they've got nothing better to do, what do they do? They cry. <laughs> and what happens if you don't go pick them up? They cry louder, right? Now, when I say babies aren't innocent, I, I'm not saying babies are just all hateful mean things. What I'm saying is, though, you don't have to teach a child to be selfish. You have to teach him to share, right? You don't have to teach a child to be not be responsible, clean his room, because he'll mess it up real big. But you have to teach him to clean it and to be responsible and to take responsibility for his actions. Christians are the same way. We need to quit doing evil, and we need to learn to do good. We need to recognize what it is in our heart that's separating us from God. Whatever that unconfessed sin is, because that unconfessed sin will separate you from the Lord. Remember when Adam, Eve ate, Adam and Eve ate the fruit, and they hid from God because they knew they had sinned, and they knew they weren't worthy to stand in front of a holy God? Sin, even though we're saved, sin isn't going to cause you to lose your salvation, but sin will cause you to get out of fellowship with God. And when you come to worship, you wonder, well, why am I not getting anything out of worship? Could it be that the Holy Spirit can't commune with your heart because your heart's not right? We need to learn to step back. We need to learn to start over. We need to learn to seek justice, verse 17. We need to learn to reprove the ruthless, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. We need to stand up for what's right, y'all, and that's not in the church building. That's out there. 
When we're at work on Monday and something happens, someone's mistreated, someone is unjust, someone is uh, taking advantage of someone, do we stand up and we say something about it? Or do we walk on by and let the world, after all, the world's going to do what the world's going to do? Stop doing evil. Start doing good. Stand against sin. Verse 17. The very end. Defend the orphan and plead for the widow. Show love. Quit sinning and show love. And then come to church and worship God. And watch God show up. But you know, God never gives a confrontation and tells folks about problems without giving an invitation. And beginning at verse 18, we find an invitation here. He says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be as wool. God says, come to me and let's talk about it. Israel says, we're not Sodom, we're not Gomorrah, we're not doing these things. God says, let's talk about it. You say, God, I'm not that bad. Let's talk about it. God says, you have an opportunity, I'm inviting you. Come talk to me. If you're not getting anything out of worship when you come to church, can I tell you, go to God. He invites you. He says, come to me. Let's talk about it. Let's reason about it. That word reason really, in its most direct definition, means to argue. Let's talk this through. Let's argue this through. God says, here's the way you are. If you think I'm not telling you the truth, let's, let's debate it. Let's talk about it. That's extraordinary in my mind. That a holy God would tell unholy people, come to my presence, let's talk about it. Because I got news for you. When I was growing up, and my parents and my grandparents said, uh, you are not going to whatever it is. They didn't say, come on, let's talk about it. Extraordinary. God always gives an invitation. And then he leaves it with a decision. Verse 19. If you consent and obey, you will eat the best of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. Truly the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God says, I give you a choice. If you'll obey me, if you'll repent and obey me, You'll stay right here in this land. I'll bless you. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. And everything will be wonderful. If not, things are not going to turn out well for you. And can I remind us God tells us the same thing today? He says you have a choice. You have a choice too. Follow me, repent, turn to 
Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Follow me and I will bless you. I will save you. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. I'll give you comfort. I'll give you strength. If you choose not to do that, things are not going to go well for you. Jesus says, in that day I'll say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. The choice is yours. The choice is mine. God says, here's what's going to happen if you do this. Here's what's going to happen if you do that. One of the problems in our world today is that people have, we've failed to hold people accountable and, and understanding the idea of consequences. If you do this, here's the consequence. If you do that, here's the consequence. Right now, God says, come, let's talk about it. I want to get your heart right. There's going to be a come a time for Judah, it's going to be too late. In 586, 587 B.C., Babylon would take Judah into captivity. It was too late. Now God would bring a remnant back. There's always the remnant. Right now, you have a choice. You have a chance. God says, Let's, if, if the Holy Spirit's not convicting you, pray to the Lord. Lord, what is there in my heart that's keeping me from being where I would like to be with you? And he'll reveal it. We should want to be right in God's sight. My brother's got a spot on his head that my mom's all worried about. Something's wrong with it. And he won't go to the doctor. And uh, he said, uh, well, if I go to the doctor, he said, I'm not going to take all that chemo and radiation and all that. He said, they might tell me something bad. I said, yeah, but he might tell you something good, too. It might be not be anything wrong. At least you'll know. Just like we sometimes need to go to the doctor, we also need to go to God and say, Dr. God, what's wrong with my heart? Because I want to come to you. And I, I don't want to have worthless worship. I want my worship to mean something. I want to worship you. I'm so thankful that I get to get up and worship you on Sunday morning. Not that I have to. Even on a day when I lost sleep, I couldn't wait to get back with you guys this morning. I missed y'all last week. Now we had a great service at First Baptist Pigeon Forge. Heard a great sermon, a great praise team. But First Baptist Pigeon Forge isn't y'all. First Baptist Pigeon Forge isn't home. And I wanted to come back and be with you. But more than that, I wanted to worship God with I hope you want the same thing. That's fine.